0: Hello, it's Ed Gallo. I'm here with the Wrestling for MMA podcast. I didn't do one last week. Um, I just had a lot of other things I was doing for the site and in real life and uh, yeah, didn't get around to it, but I didn't hear anyone complain, so I don't think you mind too much. So that's good. Um, Yeah, hello. This podcast covers amateur wrestling, mixed martial arts, and the intersection between the two. I usually go through whatever the recent MMA events are and and talk about that a little bit. Um, that should be good. It should be fun. And with regard to amateur wrestling, there were some events to, to discuss. Uh, this past weekend was the U.S. Open. Basically, it's going to be a qualifier to see who wrestles at the World Team Trials. So they're going to have a World Championships in October, separate from the Olympics. I don't think it's the non-Olympic World Championships. I think it's like, a real world championships, which is funny, because, you know, three months after the Olympics, so not everyone's going to be there, but, you know, still good for the people that didn't qualify for the Olympics get to to do something. So there's that. Um, Nothing really super crazy to report, just the same people domestically beating each other. It was also trials for the Junior World team, um, and I believe... uh, that, was, that went for all three styles, Greco, women's, and, and men's freestyle. So that's cool. Um, shout out to uh, fight site darling Bryce Andonian uh, from Virginia Tech who made the Junior World team. Um, beat a guy he beat, you know, always beats to do it, but still. Yeah, so excited to see uh, Bryce Andonian competing in Russia and uh, whenever Junior Worlds are, so that'll be cool. But yeah, the U.S. Open was recent, uh, upcoming this week on the 6th through 9th is the last chance olympic games qualifier in bulgaria so basically i've probably explained this before but i'll do it again um to qualify to wrestle at the olympics you have to make your team you have to make sure the weight is qualified for your team so what does that mean making the team is pretty simple right most team most countries have world team trials or olympic team trials and the winner of the trials is is the team member right with Russia, it's a little different. They don't have an, a standard trials format. They have like Russian nationals and they use other tournaments as benchmarks to see who goes. Um, but it's not like completely unstructured, but it is a little flexible compared to a trials system. Uh, but most people do that. So that part's pretty straightforward. But qualifying the weight, what does that mean? So your country needs at least one person from that weight class to place a certain level at, at specific competitions. <clears throat> So, example, uh, the World Championships the year before the Olympics. That's a pretty simple one. So, 2019 Worlds was the last official World Championships. So, if you place top five at an Olympic weight class, you're automatically qualified for the Olympic Games. Your weight is you still have to make your team, but if you do, you're going. Um, <clears throat> so, that's why making a team doesn't automatically make you an Olympian. And... You know, a whole multitude of factors can can go into why even qualify the weight, um, but basically to make sure as many people can qualify fairly as possible, they have continental qualifiers. So if you didn't place top five in Olympic weight, uh, you just have to win. Uh, place top two, depending on the qualifier. But for the Pan American qualifiers in the United States, for instance, you have to place top two at Pan Am's and you qualify. I think they have more qualifiers allocated for other con- uh, continents that have, you know, tougher talent, but I digress. So here's the situation for the United States, because, you know, that's the team I follow the most. Um, We qualified all but three weights total across three styles, which is good, which is good. But men's freestyle, we did not qualify 65 kilograms, um, and that is the fault of Zane Rutherford. So he's a three-time NCAA champion for Penn State, uh, multiple-time world team member, uh, I think cadet world medalist, possibly... Maybe not Junior Worlds, but he's really good. Uh, you might remember him from his back-and-forth series with Yanni Um But yeah, he's one of our best guys. And he, he beats high-level world competition. He was ranked in the world, uh, top 15-ish. So he went to Worlds, and he lost to Tobier first round. Very very tough match. I did a commentary on that, I believe. And uh, Tobier didn't make the finals, so Zane didn't get pulled back in through repechage. Uh, for a medal match, so he couldn't place top five at the worlds because he lost his first match. Okay, tough draw. It happens. No big deal. You still have the Pan American qualifier to get it done. So Zane Rutherford goes to the Pan American qualifier, and he's doing really well. And, and the Pan American games, not the games, but the Pan American competitions, games, championships, and qualifier, are pretty easy compared to most continents. I would say they're the second easiest behind Oceania. In Africa, which are, are merged. <clears throat> so, Zing goes and he's cleaning up, you know, people from random Central and South American countries who aren't really that good at wrestling, and, you know, focusing a lot on his parterre, hitting like laces, uh, stuff like that. His laces looking pretty good. And then he gets, uh, I think it was the quarterfinals, he gets uh, Augustin Distribatz from Argentina, who wasn't really anybody, you know, basically the same level as all the other guys he wrestled. And I don't even know. <sighs> he he took him down. He's working on the lace, and he couldn't get the lace. And Distriboz is trying to fight the lace. He's sitting up and turning into him and trying to you know get on top. And Zane's grip breaks while he's trying to roll through the lace. So if you roll through a lace, is basically you you entangle the legs in, in some manner. There's a bunch of different ways to do it, and you roll to one side because they can't roll against you know the pressure of their knees, right? Um, so you have to roll across your back to do that, which is fine because if you're the one moving them, it's points for you in freestyle. Uh, but unfortunately, his grip broke while he was on his back, and Dostrebot's covered and pinned him. So doesn't matter, you know, what happened after that because he had to make the finals of the qualifiers to in, in the Pan American qualifiers to qualify the weight for the Olympics. So Dostrebot's qualifies the weight. Uh, doesn't wrestle in the finals. Tobier makes the finals on the other side, so it's not like he had to go through Cuba. He just had to make the finals and beat Argentina, and he didn't. So 0 for 2 on attempts to qualify 65 kilograms. Every other weight, men's freestyle, did it, except that one. That's not our weakest weight. We're good there. Uh, but the world is also very good there. Uh, Distribots went on to have a really good uh, World Cup. They did like an unofficial World Championships, and they called it the World Cup, different than the actual wrestling World Cup. I know that's very confusing. But... Um, I mean, he went on to do really well at 61 kilograms, which is kind of funny because yeah, he got pinned by an undersized <laughs> South American. That's unfortunate. But yeah, he, uh, he, uh, he beat Zoldash Bekov from uh, Kyrgyzstan, who, who's really good. And he beat somebody else. Yeah, uh, Rahul Awar from uh, from India, he beat him too. So uh, Destribats actually has three pretty good wins to his name now. Um, so maybe he's not so bad, but still, that was, that was embarrassing. <laughs> so 65 kilograms is not qualified. Uh, at the Olympic team trials, uh, Zane got upset by Joey McKenna. Yanni Diakmatolis got upset by Jordan Oliver, and then Jordan Oliver beat Joey McKenna. I wrote a breakdown. I wrote a breakdown on that, and it's my second Jordan Oliver breakdown. So I really enjoy writing about him. So now, un- unfairly to Jordan Oliver, he has to qualify the weight, um, and there's only one tournament left to do it after the qual- after the trials. It's the uh, the last chance Olympic Games qualifier, and that's in Bulgaria. So. The ease of doing this totally depends on who shows up. So it's just based on who didn't qualify. So how can really tough guys not qualify the weight? Well, you just heard one example is, you know, things happen at qualifying tournaments. You know, upsets happen. So that that could be one way. Uh, People transferring nationalities or just weren't on their teams to qualify. Like, stuff like that happens all the time. So it's a lot of Russians wrestling for other countries. Uh, They're going to be well represented at the last chance qualifiers because a lot of them transferred this year that haven't had a chance to go to a qualifying tournament. Um, at 79 kilograms, or 74 kilograms, rather, uh, Sabalov, who beat Sitakov this year, uh, one of the pound-for-pound pound top three guys, uh, he transferred to Serbia, so he has to qualify the weight. Um, but a number of really good guys have to qualify the weight. Um, 74 kilograms, especially, it's going to have a lot of tough guys there. 65, uh, before this week, was looking to be even tougher, so... Somebody who is going to be there that people were worried about is uh, Vladimir uh, Kinchegishvili. He was Olympic champion for Georgia in 2016, and he has a couple world titles as well. He's very good. He uh he hasn't been good the past couple of years, or as good rather. Still like a world ranked type of guy, but he also like got teched by Yanni, and you know got I think got attacked by Jaden Ironman. Like <laughs> he hasn't been doing well. So uh, his his prime is definitely over. But I think it's past post prime now. It's just like. He's just not good at all. Um, So he was going to be there, but then uh, COVID protocols forced him out. So George is sending someone else. I don't know how good they are, but probably less of a problem than he is. Um, So that's nice that that's not happening anymore. Uh, But there's still two really good world-level guys at the weight that Jordan Aller might run into. I think it's top two qualify for the Olympics, so it might just depend on bracketing. But there are funky brackets all the time, and it could be like... He's all on the same side as both of these guys, and that he's got to beat everybody. Um, which would just stink, because, you know, it's not his fault that it came down to this. He would beat Distribots, he would qualify the weight if, if he was at Pan Ams, but he wasn't the guy. Um, so the other two people there are Magomed uh, Murad uh he wrestles for Poland, he's, he's Dagestani. He's a couple-time world medalist, he's very boring, but he's very solid. Uh, can, can steal matches from pretty tough guys. Uh, he's getting James Green problems a lot, and James Green has a kind of a similar style to Jordan Oliver. Uh, not super similar, but they have similarities. Um, so I don't know. That could be an issue. I, I think I would trust Oliver to beat him, especially because he's pretty low activity and Oliver. One of his issues is like slowing down later on, but if he doesn't really push the action, uh, Oliver can take his time setting stuff up and beat him. Uh, the guy I'm really worried about is uh, Ilyas uh, Bekbulatov. So he's he's Russian. I think he's Ossidian, uh, I believe. And he's wrestling for Uzbekistan. I think I have that correct. He's really good. He usually wrestles at 70 kilograms. Um, like one of the top guys there. Beat David Bayev uh, earlier this year. He's a world champion. Um, he got pinned. He got up, pinned in an upset at the Asian Olympic qualifiers. So he has to go to last chance. He's really good, though. He's really good, though. He's really slick, and I think he's the kind of guy that can deal with Jordan Oliver's offense. He's just really, really solid defensively. Just outright an elite wrestler, so that's an issue. Um, if it's if it's him and Oliver in the finals, I don't think they wrestle just because they're already qualified, but it totally depends on the bracket if Oliver has to wrestle him or not, and that kind of determines whether or not we're going to have a guy at the Olympics at 65 kilograms. So, that's yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, Other weights that we need to qualify are uh, in Greco-Roman. We had to qualify 77 kilograms. I don't really know what the situation was there. Um, But Jesse Porter, with no training partners, (laughs) made the Olympic team, which is awesome. Uh, But now he's got to, with no training partners, qualify the Olympic weights. That sucks. Uh, But yeah, he definitely made it off off an upset. Um, I think Pat Smith and... um, I, I believe this is the same way as Pat Smith and Kamal Bay, but Kamal Bey uh, got USADA because he didn't, you know, some, something like the whereabouts updates. He didn't fail a test or anything, but he got he got suspended. And then Pat Smith, who beat him for 2019 World Team, uh, lost to somebody. Um, and then Jesse Porter made the team. Jesse Porter's really exciting. Um, American is actually pretty exciting. They all throw each other, but uh, when you go to international, they don't really like that. And you know, having more open style usually bites you. So we don't do very well internationally, the <laughs> United States and Greco. But uh, at least when you watch domestic Greco competition, it's kind of kind of cool. Um, yeah, he's gonna have to qualify. I don't know who's there, but that's gonna be tough. And then we also have to qualify heavyweight because Adam Kuhn didn't. Um, yeah, same situation as Sam Rutherford didn't didn't play top five of the Worlds and didn't um, didn't make the finals of the Pan American Olympic qualifiers. So. Two Greco weights, one men's freestyle weight. That's what we had to qualify. Women's, we're all good. Yep, everyone did their job, so uh, that's really nice. And our team is even stronger than the team we had last year for women's, so uh, that's looking good. Um, but yeah, so that's coming up. I'm going to try to write about something this week with regard to it. Maybe I'll just do an after word breakdown. Um, but yeah, let's talk about MMA now instead. There were some events that we can discuss. Uh, UFC 261. I don't think I talked about it yet. There wasn't a ton of wrestling, but just some some cool things to talk about. I was on Heavy Hands. If you guys listen to the Heavy Hands podcast, I was on it uh, for the post fight. UFC 261. So pretty much all of my thoughts are there. Uh, most of the time I talked about uh, the Shevchenko Andrade fight and a little bit about the Usman Masvidal fight. Uh, let's start with Usman Masvidal. Uh, obviously, he knocked him out, but. Just the wrestling implications. Well, first of all, the, Usman Usman took him down uh, off a reactive body lock entry uh, off of a knee from Masvidal, so that was cool. And you know, same mechanics basically every every body lock finish in MMA is you cut to an angle, you create a block, and you drag him over the block. Uh, same exact thing that happened in the shevchenko Andrade fight. Like body locks are becoming more common. And uh, if you really want a good breakdown on the mechanics of body locks, uh, my article on Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gastelum is a really good one. I do some pretty in-depth detailing of, of how you finish that. Uh, so check that out. And other news about you know, technique and breaking down how to do stuff, I wrote about headlocks before this most recent UFC event because Cub Swanson was fighting. Cub Swanson is like the only guy I've ever seen in MMA consistently hit headlocks in like a really nice way. You can call it a head and arm throw, call it what you want. They're headlocks. Um, but... Yeah, he, he has really nice mechanics on it. Basically, the issue is with headlocks is a lot of people just grab the head, try to rip it to the side, and try to fall off to the side, or like they create the, they stick their leg out for the block or something like that, but they usually aren't really getting underneath them, and they're not really hitting it like a throw. They're hitting it like they're sagging off to the side and just trying to pull their head to the ground. That can work, but it's not really how you're supposed to hit a headlock. Um, a, a nice headlock is uh, what my coaches in high school called an Olympic headlock, so... Basically Olympic because it's freestyle (laughs) or or Greco um, because you want a four-pointer. You want want to expose feet to back. So if I pull you to the ground and then your back exposes to the mat, that's only two points. Uh, But if I throw you from your feet onto your back and at no point am I grounded beforehand, um, that's four points. That's what you want to hit. Um, The reason that the difference in technique is that you hit it more like a judo throw. So if you've ever done judo, you know about the triangle step. So basically, you have whatever grips you have, then with your lead foot, you step in between their base, you take a penetration step, and then you, uh, as you're stepping your other foot to square up with that one, you pivot and turn around. So it's a step forward, and then pivot, turn, and and squat. Um, Basically, you're pulling them into you, and you're getting your hips underneath their hips, and it's an explosive, you know, one-step movement, pretty much so as you take your step it's all happening right there Um, so you have to time your pull with your grips with your with your triangle set to make sure that they hit your hips at the right time so it can act as a block so you can throw them over your hips so basically every throw involves a block Um, your leg can be a block your foot can be a block your hips are often the block Um, so you need a momentum pulling them into the block and you need the block to exist Um, sometimes there's multiple adjustments in those those techniques but typically that's how it goes so, yeah, I read about Cubs once and he said a few really nice ones. He also hit that wizard throw uh, on Dennis Siever. That's the one everyone remembers, but that's actually the only time he's done that. Um, the headlocks have been much more consistent. That's something he's done like 10 times <laughs> throughout his MMA career. So I looked at a bunch of them. It was really cool. Uh, so I appreciated that. He hasn't done it in a while and he didn't do it in this fight. He got body kicked, knocked out in a minute, but it was nice to write about it. But funny enough, like after seeing so many bad headlocks in MMA, um, there were two. There were two really good ones on this card that weren't Cub Swanson. It's, it's strange. Uh, really weird coincidence. But uh, Luana uh, Pinheiro, who got DQ'd with an upkick, she hit a really nice um, you know, Olympic headlock on, on Brandon Marcos, who pressured straight into her into the clinch. And, you know, if you're going to move straight in, you want underhooks on someone, that's great. Because the underhook is already... When you hit a headlock, you should pull the tricep of the underhooking arm across your chest to move their body to the side and forward as you're ripping the headlock, so it's aiding your motion. So that's what you do with your other hand. Um, so yeah, if you're just going to push forward into underhooks, that's a great time to headlock somebody. Um, so yeah, she did that, she got headlocked. And uh, also, Marab really uh, against Cody Stamen. Stamen was countering a lot of uh, what Marab was doing with underhooks. We'll talk about that more in a second. And uh, yeah, Marab uh, at one point headlocked him. It was really nice full exposure, but he didn't cover. He just hit the throw. I think he might have a judo background because he didn't go to, you know, stick him. He just got the exposure. It would have been the probably. Uh, and the just got right back up. So it was nothing, but it <laughs> didn't score. It looked cool. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about that fight. Uh, that was definitely the wrestliest fight on the card. Um, There's also like Kai Kamaka, but, you know, despite there being multiple takedowns in that Kai Kamaka TJ Brown fight, none of them were really like, here's the entry, here's the finish. It was more like circumstantial guys kicking at the wrong time and falling over um Loma Lubumni also fought but I actually didn't study that one or pay too much attention to it so I can't comment but I'm sure there's a lot of cool clinchy stuff there uh BM Marab and Cody Stamen. Cody Stamen did a pretty good job defensively wrestling he just could not keep up his striking output or mechanics or you know composure while fighting against that pace as a wrestler and grappler Um, So definitely pace is what got him, I'd say, because he was doing really well early on, even though I think Marab surprised him with how well he was doing on the feet. Uh, Definitely the best Mirab has looked as a striker. He didn't look good as a striker, but he looked much better, and that changes a lot because he was getting a lot done as a fighter being, like, useless as a striker while, like, only having an overhand. Now he has a few different tools and can kind of exist in striking exchanges, which really helps you out as a wrestler. So that was great. For him and it looks like he has a good chin as well which is nice um but yeah basically besides that headlock a lot of marab's issues as a wrestler were exposed on this one things i talked about before the fact that all of his shots come off forward momentum and that his finishes can be kind of jank so the shots coming off forward momentum basically stamen you know being the superior kicker uh and, and you know being having better control of the boxing exchanges with the entries uh, was more comfortable being at, at further range. So he was able to keep a little bit of space between them, make Murab crash in to cover that distance. And if he hasn't covered the distance yet, he's going to shoot off of that. And you still can see it coming and catch under hook. So that was really nice for him to be able to uh, react to things. And even if Murab did get in, uh, he's basically only getting stamina down to his butt, and then stamina's was getting up really quick. Um, so that, that was one thing. The other thing was that Murab, when he did get to the legs... He was hitting these like, suicide finishes where he's like falling to his hip and trying to hit drags, uh, like crack him down to the mat, pull his hip down to the mat, but he was falling onto his own hip, so he wasn't in good position to cover when they landed, and that was giving Stamen time to, to scramble with him, and basically all Stamen did was get under hooks and, and sit through, and he was putting uh, Marab on his back a lot with that. Um, and yeah, it was just good hips from Stamen, good scrambling from Stamen. I talked about a couple times that Stamen wrestles like a wrestler. He's like still clearly wrestles in the room um there's a lot of fighters lose a lot of those basic things that most wrestlers can do um that you know, can limp leg he can you know um he knows how to counter a bad shot finish like he he's very competent as a wrestler but uh just his whole mma game kind of let him down there and i would say his conditioning as well but you know barab has really great conditioning so it's hard to compare and he fought well while tired it's just not well enough i thought it was a close fight i thought 30 27 was kind of crazy but um yeah but Zach Makovsky's talked about how he does not like finishes where you fall onto your hip and it makes perfect sense if you saw that fight you're like yeah that's that's risky um so you know we were going to talk about it because TJ Dillashaw was supposed to be fighting this weekend um but TJ Dillashaw's like outside trip shot like that's a you you fall forward on that shot like you don't have full control of your feet uh, on that and that can be a kind of a dangerous finish as well, and a lot of people have tried it and just kind of fallen over, so (laughs) uh, I definitely like the caveat about those techniques uh, yeah, I don't think there was anything really else to talk about (laughs) with regard to wrestling, I know the Kite Laba fight was was wrestling, but don't care, so this upcoming card, this week, we don't know what the main event is um, it might be Michelle Waterson versus Marina Rodriguez, which is yikes, um Yeah, otherwise it's pretty scattered as a card. Amanda Hibas is fighting, speaking of throws and headlocks. um, She's fighting Angela Hill, so I I expect at least a couple takedowns there for her. Um, But yeah, she has has nice throws. Good throwing mechanics. Uh, Had a nice Hirai Goshi uh, against uh, Dern, I believe. That was cool. Uh, Neil Magny and Jeff Neal are fighting. I'm sure they'll clinch. Um, Ludovic Klein, not really wrestling-centric, but he's fighting. I like him. Check him out. And uh, Gregor Gillespie is fighting Carlos Diego Fajaya. That's definitely the fight with the most wrestling implications. Uh, Gregor's issue has always been the in-between, you know, developing as a striker to to aid his wrestling, because his, like, mat work and and his adaptation of his wrestling to MMA are very good, very good. Um, I have a video coming out this week on a little bit of some of the cool stuff that Gregor does. Not an in-depth breakdown at all. It's like five minutes, but it's really only covering one thing. Um, but it's just a cool little thing about how, uh, when he's riding against the cage, how he uses knees to disrupt posts and get his mat returns going. It's just interesting. And also how he can like ride out a Granby and just how he wins scrambles and cool stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, He's fighting Carlos Diego Fajaya, who is a good grappler, uh, You know, very good ground-and-pound game, good uh, good pressure stri- striker. Um, he got counter-pressured, and, and the tables turned on him by Benil Darius. She kind of big-brothered him. Uh, Daru hit him with a really nasty knee to the body and then you know, became the guy pressuring and took him down a bunch and top game him which is awesome it was a really cool performance and it makes you wonder like okay who else can do that to CDF uh, before that fight you would have thought that maybe they would try to keep this on the feet and that CDF is the better striker but now I think Gregor probably has a little bit of confidence that he can take him down and implement his top game so I'm super interested in that one I'm glad it's uh, happening I like it better than the Riddell booking Or Dell booking is like, all right, this guy's going to wrestle you, but can you knock him out in between? This is more like you're both going to be able to do well in exchanges with each other. You know, so it should be competitive. There should be a lot to talk about. Um, So I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, check out that video. And uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Next week, it will be much more to talk about because it's the Olivera Chandler card. And there's, like, Leon Edwards on there and all sorts of good stuff. Daniel uh, Dariush Darius is fighting again, that card. Um, Jacare is fighting. Manson. It's going to be cool. It's a cool card. Uh, but, yeah, other stuff that happened. I mean, there was PFL. But I didn't watch it. <laughs> uh, the PFL before that, uh, Bubba Jenkins beat Lance Palmer. I'm going to try to grab the video of that sometime, see if there's anything to talk about from there, but I still haven't seen it, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a short one, not too much to discuss. I just kind of wanted to check in uh, and talk about wrestling and say hello to everybody. But yeah, this week with regard to Patreon content, there's no one high profile fighting this week, so no resume review, but I will do another uh, robbery video. But I did my first one last week. That was uh, Jones Reyes and Mighty Mouse Suhudo 2. I concluded they were both robberies, so if you're interested in that, check it out on patreon or audio platforms if you want to follow along on your own but yeah that was fun i'm not sure who i'm gonna do this week but it'll be fun regardless and uh yeah stay tuned for the mma podcast comes out on thursday and whatever else we have cooking okay well that's it (laughs) let me know if you have anything you'd like me to discuss uh in the future but next week i think i'll be busy with card recaps and gearing up for the pay-per-view okay And I'll tell you about Last Chance Qualifier. I'll tell you how that goes. All right, bye-bye.